Welcome to the Ohio State University Summer Quarter Commencement, recorded Sunday, August 28, 2011, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center. 1,245 graduates receive their diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is David O. Franz, Professor Emeritus of English at The Ohio State University. the 397th commencement of THE Ohio State University. We are pleased to have you as honored guests as this university bestows academic degrees upon today's graduates. So ladies and gentlemen, it is now my pleasure to introduce our speaker today. David Franz is an accomplished academic, respected leader, and candidly one of my dear friends. He is also one of Ohio State's unsung heroes, but today we will sing his praises. It is the rare person who has the ability to move between the world of the professorate and the university's biggest governing body. In fact, David is the first faculty member in Ohio State's history to serve as secretary to the Board of Trustees. The feat is all the more impressive when you consider this fact. He is, alumna, he is an alumnus of the school that shall not be named. Since his arrival at Ohio State in 1968, David's academic and administrative careers have been brilliant. He is a renowned teacher, a noted Renaissance scholar with expertise in one of the time period's racier subjects. Let me just say that the name of his book has made more than one colleague blush. At Ohio State, David Franz has routinely exhibited a willingness to dive into the deep end of the pool. And he is one of those uncommon individuals who gets the job done without looking to take credit. Such a person is few and far between, so I am comforted by the fact that we will not be losing David entirely. He will teach a Shakespeare course on campus next spring, and he will continue to be involved with the university's special re relationship with the Royal Shakespeare Company. For his contributions to Ohio State, David has received numerous prestigious awards, including the Alumni Award for Distinguished Teaching and the Faculty Award for Distinguished University Service. And just last night, we surprise David, the man who knows this university better than anyone, with the news that we are honoring him this afternoon with an honorary degree, Doctor of Humanities. He is an Ohio State treasure, a true partner and a great friend. Ladies and gentlemen, your commencement speaker today, Professor Emeritus David Franz. Well, members of the Board of Trustees, President Gee, honorees, administrative leaders, fellow faculty, parents, guests, and above all, members of the graduating class. First, let me congratulate you on arriving at this place today, literally. I mean, could the campus streets and parking have been any more complicated than they've been this summer quarter? So finding your way here literally has been a major challenge. And second, 
let me congratulate you for arriving at this milestone today. Obviously, early on in your time at OSU, all of you heeded Dean Wormer's advice to flounder in Animal House. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. So kudos to you for having made it to commencement. No seven years of college down the drain for you. It's a great honor for me to be with you here today and to have been chosen to give this address. You would think that after having sat through something like 40 or 50 commencements here at the university, chiefly as Secretary of the Board of Trustees, where my duties were simply to hood the honorary degree recipients, and where my only worry was the height of such recipients and the fear that I might garrot them when I invested them with the honorary hood, you would think two things would be no-brainers. That I would not be nervous and I would have plenty of material on which to draw. Truth to tell, however, I am a bit nervous. Although, let's face it, I'm not as nervous as those people sitting behind me, since they know that my research area is Renaissance erotica. And I'm sure they're worried that I might actually talk about that in this address. <laughs> Titling it something like, How the Study of Renaissance Erotica can lead to a meaningful and fulfilling life. <laughs> then maybe showing some exquisite visual examples of classy Renaissance erotica and sending you forth into the world. Were I to do this, I might have a chance of giving one of the few commencement addresses that would ever be remembered. <laughs> but even I didn't think that would be entirely appropriate. The era I studied, the Renaissance, was mightily concerned with decorum, and somehow such a presentation didn't seem quite right for this occasion. So that left me with anxiety about what to say. I'm particularly conscious of this issue because I have to confess that all of those commencement addresses that I sat through kind of roll together, and I'd be hard-pressed to give you the nuggets, the best of those speeches. And then I have very much in mind the headline from an article written this spring around commencement time by New York Times columnist David Brooks, which read, graduation advice seldom is of any use. And if I'm really being honest about this, if we think about commencement as we should, as a beginning, not a culmination, the beginning of your going forth into the real world, what could I possibly have to say about that? I've never been there. I never left college. <laughs> After all, I went from college to graduate school that one year that we won't talk about, Gordon, where I made a mistake, but I did leave after one year. And I began teaching at Ohio State. Hardly credentials for sending you forth into the real world. I do know this much. The key component of the address is to be short, and I can do short. After all, I am short. And while one of my greatest fantasies as I contemplate this venue, the Schottenstein Arena, is that I could take trustee Clark Kellogg down there on the floor and post him up, Coach Thad Mata always reminds me that the only guy I could actually do that to is the one sitting behind me with glasses thicker than mine wearing the bow tie. 
In my quest for a theme here, I did what you would expect any professor to do. I fell back on research in preparing for these comments. Over the past several weeks, I have reread and seen, thanks to our partnership with the Royal Shakespeare Company, five of Shakespeare's plays, and rewatched the most important movie of college life of the last 40 years, Animal House. You would think the easiest thing to do for someone who has spent a lifetime teaching Shakespeare would be simply to give you the best of Shakespeare, some of his most profound admonitory saws. You know, my blessings with thee, and these few precepts in thy memory look thou character. Give thy thoughts no tongue, yada, 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 neither a borrower nor a lender be, yada, 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 this above all to thine own self be true. The problem is, of course, that almost all of the speeches like this in Shakespeare are delivered by characters like Polonius in Hamlet, a bumbling blowhard who gives this advice to his son, but then sends spies to Paris to report on what he is up to, and later, hiding behind a curtain to see what Hamlet is up to with his own mother, manages to get himself killed in the process. So that won't work. Not a man whose advice you really would want to follow. Nor would the title character, Hamlet himself, be anyone you would want to emulate. His problems are many, of course, not the least of which is the fact that he's been off at the university where he gained a lot of book knowledge and apparently wasted a lot of time going to plays. This seems not to have been good training for a prince, or at least one called upon to carry out an act of vengeance. This most agonizing thinker of all of Shakespeare's characters can do virtually nothing but think, and when he is prompted to action by his father's ghost, he exclaims he can act only by wiping out all trivial fond records, all saws of books. So much for having been at the university. That would hardly be advice I should be giving. A colleague of mine suggested a simple solution. She said, just tell them to be nice and sit down. <laughs> That's not bad. Be nice is a good place to start. The admonition really is a contemporary version of something the Renaissance held dear, civility. The Renaissance, that first great age of printing, inundated readers with books and manuals about civility, how we interact with one another. At the heart of these interactions lie notions of discourse, speaking and writing that are the means of these interactions, and which I would submit are more important today than ever before. In an era in which we are literally assaulted by much blather and ranting, where unsubstantiated opinion expressed ever more loudly seems the coin of the realm, we need to recover the use of civility. Not that there will or should be lack of controversy or disagreement. John Milton, in Areopagitica, his defense of freedom of the press, said it well in 1644. Where there is much desire to learn, there of necessity will be much arguing, 
much writing, many opinions, for opinion in good men is but knowledge in the making. A key component in this discourse is the desire to learn, not to be hardened in our opinions, but to be open to different arguments, different perspectives, and to be moved by evidence, not by noise. As a democratic society, it is in our self-interest to engage in civil discourse if we are to continue as a vibrant and free society. So, be nice. Let's just add a few others and I'll sit down. Besides Dean Wormer's advice to Flounder, there's something else that Animal House got right. Knowledge is good, the motto of Faber College. We are inundated with data. It's at our fingertips instantaneously. Even a retrograde Luddite like me knows how to access information in an instant on my iPhone. And we can share ideas and thoughts and opinions and pictures, probably what most of you are doing out there right now and what some of these folks back here are doing. But none of that is knowledge. Knowledge comes from open inquiry, testing of theories, seeking evidence. And it comes as well from the kind of discourse Milton was describing. So let's see. Be nice, seek knowledge. And oh yes, maybe the key thing Animal House teaches us, reminds us of, is that laughter is good. It's especially good when we can laugh at ourselves. While I like to claim that I haven't met, read much that was written after 1644, an author named Jeffrey Wolf, who's taught at Ohio State as a visiting writer, has a wonderful phrase in his book of essays called Seek knowledge, laugh, have purpose, do what you do while you're doing it. At the end here, let me return, if only for a moment, to Shakespeare. Shakespeare's plays have endured through the ages because of his incomparable capacity to deal with the most fundamental of human issues, whether at the individual or societal level. His plays engage us in contemplation, 
about the human condition, whether it be the qualities it takes to govern, the limitations of free will, mankind's capacity for evil, qualities required to be a good mother or father or daughter or son. I could go on and on with the list. But there are two lessons that I find of particular significance with which I would like to conclude. In my years of teaching Shakespeare, I have increasingly come to understand his insistence on two things, to his plays as play and to his insistence that we give attention to feeling. Shakespeare is nothing if not metadramatic in his plays. With his use of plays within plays, his use of disguises and characters playing roles within roles, and with direct verbal cues that abound in virtually all of his plays, he reminds us that we are watching a play. He reminds us that what we are seeing or reading is not real, it is play. His art requires imagination, a willing suspension of disbelief. Remember, this is a man who wrote for a bare stage. There was no scenery. When he wanted you to know that, he was, that his characters were in a certain place or at a certain time, he'd have a character say, well, here I am on the coast of Bohemia, or I am invisible now and the audience would be part of that, would grant them to him. We are reminded in his plays again and again that a dramatist, a human being, is employing the powers of art. For Shakespeare, as for his age, being artful was a key characteristic, a most telling way of delineating oneself as human. His art requires that we use and appreciate imagination. It is required of those who create as well as those who participate, whether as actors or spectators or listeners or readers. As Michael Boyd, artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, said in a workshop in New York recently, Shakespeare presents us with a highly ordered, morally ordered world but one in which from a director's or an actor's or a viewer's or a reader's point of view, there is much room for play, for the great what if. What if we do it this way? What if we act it this way? What if we read it this way? As Touchstone, one of Shakespeare's wisest fools points out, much virtue in if. So the possibility of play. Finally, in that most powerful and greatest of his tragedies, King Lear, Shakespeare presents us with the most moving spectacle of a king who must be reduced to nothing to learn what it means to be human, and thus what it means to be a true father and a king and a fool. The education of Lear comes at an enormous cost to individuals and a kingdom, but there is education. And at the end of that tragedy, Edgar, who is to take over as the king, himself a tortured individual who has had to reduce himself in disguise as a naked madman, a poor bare forked animal, and who has gone through the trials and tribulations with Lear 
out on the wild heath and the pelting storm, learned, as Lear has learned, what it means to be human at the basest level, Edgar gets the final speech of the play in which he says, the weight of this sad time we must obey, speak what we feel, not what we ought to say. Acknowledging our feelings, giving expression to feelings is not something we tend to advocate in the academy. But I would submit that it is as critical a faculty in the human condition as any other. And I hope today, in the midst of this formal, civic, ceremonial function, you will allow yourselves to enjoy the full range of feelings I know that must be yours. Pride and joy, anticipation of what is to come, and perhaps a little sadness, already a sense of nostalgia for the life that you are about to leave behind. So, be nice, seek knowledge, laugh, have purpose, do what you do while you're doing it, make room for play, and give expression to your feelings. May you strive to enrich your lives and those of others with these qualities. And may the words of your alma mater ever resonate with the most powerful of feelings for you as they do for me after 40 plus years of being part of this noble enterprise we call Ohio State University. How firm thy friendship, Ohio. Again, my heartiest congratulations. Thank you for letting me share the day with you. Thank you, David. Well, graduates, this is a glorious day in the life of the university and a significant milestone in your life. Like any milestone, this moment calls for reflection about the path you have traveled and the great puzzles you have sought to solve over the last four years. In the summer 2007, the finale of The Sopranos aired, which means you have had four years to figure out the ending. In the summer of 2007, the iPhone was introduced, which means you have had four years to figure out how to keep the battery from running out while you were playing Angry Birds. <laughs> Graduates, in the four, in some, in some cases, five, six, or seven years you have been with us, you have endured and persevered through every challenge on campus. Whether the bell rang for an early morning history class or for a late night uh, organic chemistry study marathon, each time you answered it, you challenged yourselves in every conceivable way. You navigated through requirements and electives. You've worked tirelessly for years with this day in mind. You came here in need of something we possess. And now you're leaving here in possession of something for which there is a desperate need. Within you today lie not only the facts and figures, but also the faith and freedom to seek new answers and to ask new questions. Your task will not be easy, of course, but I have seen what you can do, and my confidence in you is full and complete. The passion and curiosity, the devotion to ideas and ideals that have fueled this group are remarkable. Today, we award 1,922 degrees, reflecting 1,000 922 different paths to this stage. While no two stories are alike, all of our graduates share in the warm glow of a mission accomplished. 
As a Beckman Scholar, Ian Green pursued laboratory research in cancer genetics. With a bachelor's degree in microbiology in hand, he will attend our medical school at Ohio State this fall. The Mount Leadership Society is a celebration of learning and service. Dan Cunningham was invited to join before he had even taken his first class here. Working with the YWCA and Keep Columbus Beautiful and other organizations, Dan gave a great deal of his energy and talents to the community while he pursued his degree. Today, Dan earns a bachelor's in accounting. Tomorrow, he starts studying for the CPA exam. The great American melting pot story came to life on campus in the person of Oscar Wu. It was during his studies at Ohio State that Oscar became a United States citizen. And it was at Ohio State that Oscar led a student organization dedicated to celebrating Asian culture. Oscar even brought to campus the lion dance, a traditional Chinese defense against bad luck. Today, Oscar completes his bachelor's degree in finance. The Lantern once called Jason Marion the busiest student at Ohio State. Jason served as student representative to our Board of Trustees, and he was president of the Council of Graduate Students, and he was a graduate research associate, and he led area school children on environmental expeditions, and he successfully battled cancer. All that, and he served as smoking the bear at the state fair. Today, Jason completes his PhD in public health. 34 years after he collected his high school, yes, that's worth a, a round of applause. Give him that, okay? And Jason wasn't the Smokey the Bear who insulted kids and was kicked out, by the way. He was another one. 34 years after he collected his high school diploma, Stephen Charles Walter has earned his bachelor's degree in history. A city councilman in his hometown of Wapakoneta and president of a technology company, Stephen came back to the classroom purely for the love of learning. And he is committed to sharing this opportunity. In fact, to honor his late great-grandfather, Stephen established a scholarship in his name at our OSU Lima campus. As a co-captain, In Hong Ling spent, uh, or led our women's golf team to the NCAA championship berth. Decorated for her performance on the course in the classroom, Hong was also a three-time winner of the Big Ten Sportsmanship Award. Today, Hong earns her bachelor's degree in human nutrition. To all those graduating who have worn our colors on the field, the course, the court, the ice, the track, and the pool, and elsewhere, thank you for sharing your dedication, your spirit, and your talents with your teammates and with this university. Life, as Brad Oakson will tell you, really is a series of ups and downs. As a student of roller coaster design, Brad founded the Theme Park Engineering Group to bring together like-minded classmates interested in what he terms using engineering to create joy before heading off to Orlando to work in research and development for Universal Studios theme parks. Brad graduates today with a master's degree in mechanical engineering. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Ohio State has challenged all of today's graduates to think about big issues and even bigger solutions. So graduates, today you begin a new phase of your journey. So I do not wish you farewell, but I wish that you will fare well. I therefore send you forth, as I am always prone to do, with a few words of advice. Do not list planking as your skill on your resume. <laughs> Resolve to go a full day without an update on even one Kardashian. Never make a major decision at 4 a.m. Be prepared. Be prepared. Change is always coming, except from vending machines. <laughs> Keep the word splendid, underline splendid, uh, and help that word make a comeback. We celebrate those who draw maps, but not follow them. 
Never cut what you can untie. Do not name your dog after your sister. <laughs> Read more, think more, sing more, laugh more, and complain less. Remember, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And always, I worked on that one for a while. Okay. And always, always remember this great university, your alma mater. We will not forget you. So ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for giving me the honor to be part of this most remarkable university. I will tell you this, and I say this on a beautiful Sunday when the East Coast is being battered by Irene and California is falling into the ocean. I will tell you this. There's nowhere on earth I'd rather be than this great state of Ohio and at The Ohio State University. Godspeed each and every one of you on this remarkable journey. Have a wonderful day.